Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the OrcoCast. My name is the Orcosaurus, and in this podcast I'm talking to indie game developers about their games and the video game industry in general. So if you like my show, then please consider subscribing on YouTube, thumb the video up, ring the bell, leave a comment, and if you're listening to one of the many podcast platforms, please consider us giving a review, and if you want to support us, please check out our Patreon. Thank you everyone, and now on to the show. Here we go. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Orcocast. Today with me is the entire crew of Recombobulator Games, Alonso, Lauren and Michelle. Hello, everyone. So, <laughs> before we start, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Luis, you okay. want to go first? Uh, well, go ahead, go ahead. Too late. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, my name is Luis. Uh, you can call me Louis. It's easier. I guess I'm the, I guess you could say I'm the person that's 95% responsible for the demo that you got to play if you got a chance to try our demo for Space Boat. Uh, I've, and I've got like 20 plus years in AAA and all kinds of games. I think that sums it up. Who's next? Uh, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren. Me? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm a voice actor. I am also the marketing director for Recompopulator Games and I make all the TikToks, do all the streaming and I've been around on the internet for over 12 years. Yeah. Since the internet was born. Since the internet was born with socials. Yes. <laughs> and then we have the last one, Michelle. My name is Michelle Franklin. I'm a writer. I'm a, a novelist, and I do the narrative design for a space boat. Very unexciting. I'm sure no one enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty decent. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for first question. So how did you three end up meeting each other? Well, Luis and I met when we were working at DC Studios together. And and we became friends. We were working on a bunch of games. We, we, we were Hannah Montana, Chicken Little, uh, VeggieTales. My God, VeggieTales. Uh, we, we did we did a bunch of like a GBA and a DS games. And we've, we stayed friends ever since. And then we decided at the proper time it was it was good to make a game together and after so much time we we were married nice <laughs> i i don't know if that, if that was if that was common knowledge to you um no uh, not for me so i i didn't know you you and louis were married that that's... you're married no that's a, no we're not married that, that's a figment of everybody's imagination oh okay <laughs> Uh, so after after working in, in in games for a very long time and having terrible experiences in the AAA environment, which is funny because now a lot of this stuff's coming out, right? Yeah. So at one point I, I decided, okay, okay, I gotta I gotta get out of this thing, uh, and I figured I want to make a company on my own, and I want to you know like do the things that that counter what what I experienced in the AAA uh, scenarios. And the first thing that I realized was. Well, look, I, I might be able to make game development, but I don't know anything about really about marketing. I studied I studied some of it a couple of years ago, but none of that is valid anymore. So I figured I need to find an expert who understands how how we market stuff, and that's that's how we found Lauren. We were we were looking at a at another uh, how she was handling another game, and we were like she would be perfectly complementary to us. So I you know we contacted her, and I'll let Lauren tell the story. And then I was like, OMG, yes please. <laughs> your game looks with us now. Yeah, I was like, your game looks awesome because I was already liking your posts on the Ever Game account <laughs> and retweeting your stuff anyway. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, you guys are kind of interested. 
<laughs> and then you guys wanted me to be a voice actor for your game. And I was like, yes, please, I would like to be a cat. And then um, I did some auditions and stuff. And here we are. That is absolutely fantastic. Nice story. I love it. You. So you're working on Spaceboat. How would you describe the game to somebody who's never heard of it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy meets Mass Effect, probably. And Muppets. Yeah, Muppets. And Just that, you know, so it depends. It depends on who we can say the uh, the M word to, because you know. Well, yeah. We're just making a reference to the Muppets right now. It's not that we're saying that there are Muppets in our game. No, we have car we have carpet-based life forms in our game. Um, yes, that's right. Yes, but they're they're similar, but not not at all like Muppets necessarily. Because if not, a mouse comes to my door and stabs me in the face legally uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, uh, it's crazy. Okay, so I I would probably add a dash of Monkey Island in there, and then I yeah probably with, yeah. with that description. <laughs> okay, so and you're you're cat in a space Muppet suit. So what what is your goal, or how do you envision what the player is doing during their journey to uncover the mystery that's going on? Oh, well, you you play as Inspector Domino, who is the the rookie detective of the RCNP, the uh, Royal Cosmic Nar or the, it's not Royal Cosmic Nara Police. What's the Arston? It is okay. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but my, my brain, my brain, my my Monday morning brain said no. R is not royal, but no, it is the the, the it cosmic is, it's narwhal. A royal, it's a royal cosmic narwhal. Yeah, and you are sent on a mission to catch a jewel thief. But of course, when you do find the thief, everything is not exactly as it seems. So it's your job to uncover the mystery of what exactly is going on here. And you do that by talking to all sorts of characters, getting stuck in some characters, and uh, and do, doing just ridiculous and fun things. Obviously, you're you're solving a crime, and there is some uh, element of investigation to it. You're going to have to uh, put two and two together. But uh, we we just want people to laugh and have a really good time playing the game. In a obviously, it's an adventure game, but it handles more like an RPG without combat. That's yeah, it's uh, it's akin to like the old uh, Sierra games and uh, LucasArts games. So, you know, it's like, I think the key here is that we want to create an environment where people can explore a crazy universe where anything can happen. Hopefully everything happens. So it, it's it's a place where, you know, you're going to be interacting with a lot of interesting characters and you're going to get to know this universe uh, by, by playing the game. And I think that's that's the, the key experience there is to is to experience the, the, the key thing there is to experience is this uh, crazy, crazy universe universe where everything's possible that sounds amazing i love it i absolutely love it so i've played obviously the the demo of spaceboat and you know that i'm very much behind your project so i at least uh try to spread the word a little bit so what's what's holding you up to finish the game at the moment because i know you've ran into some issues if you want to talk about it if not we just go on to the next question we can talk about it a little bit if you like so the the main one uh, is like the one that everybody hits it's uh it's money so we had a, a kickstarter that unfortunately didn't uh didn't go through and before we did another kickstarter uh taking what we'd learned from the first one we we realized maybe kickstarter won't work won't work for us because there's there's a lot of things going on at kickstarter and uh and just generally in the world there's some uh like we're, we're all living a strange time and maybe kickstarter is not going to be uh, realistic for us so uh, to be able to keep the the you know the lights on right now we're 
we can't talk about it too much, but let's just say that there is something happening and hopefully if it all goes through, um, we'll be able to talk about it. And the only thing I can really say is that financially we've like, I, I've sold my house and we've been eating uh, away at that, at that money to keep things afloat. And I even started working for other companies as a consultant uh, to be able to, to keep things going. But that means everything's been on pause. So I'm doing, every, we're all doing everything we can in order to keep everything afloat, keep the dream alive. So, so that at some point we can hire some people and make the game that we all hope everybody will will be able to, uh, you know, get behind and enjoy. So yeah, the, the production is still going, but we, slowly. yeah, it's just slowly now. Yeah. But uh, hopefully once, once everything will be ironed out with, with people we're talking to, we'll be able to, to get into a full-fledged production. I, also, we have some personal things. Nice. I, I might have a hunch where you're talking to, might, I don't know, obviously, <laughs> but I, I kind of have, like, this, this this orc nose of mine just tingles a little bit. So... Uh, and you smell the blood and the fear? Is that what you could smell? Yeah, yeah, I smell the blood and the fear. Thunder, right? If, if, if it's what I'm thinking it is, it would be absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm just saying that. <laughs> and I wish you all the best of luck on that. So basically, funding funding is the issue. I mean, that that's some. I, I think your your project is anyways on a, let's say, a bit of a bigger scale than most projects I've interviewed so far, because I did do other interviews, but they are all gone. Let's not talk about that. Oh, <laughs> oh uh, you mean like the people in the, that you interviewed? Since the funding didn't really happen, you were planning on doing like this offshoot game, this low, uh, lo-fi space cat cafe thing. Yes. It's, is that still a thing? Uh, it um, was, but because of certain things that have happened, we might not be able to do it now. Because, I mean, it is it is semi-good news that we can't talk about yet, but we, we won't, we might not be able to do it now. What we hope to do, we hope to actually put it in, in the game somehow. That's what we, that's originally what we wanted to do. Is we were, we were doing the Space Cafe on the stream to get people interested in the universe in general, but we wanted to make it different and we wanted to make it uh, look different and play differently than, than Space Boat. We wanted to make it more of a sim and that takes place on the, one of the cat planets, but we, we wanted to eventually integrate it into space boats this way people could just have a place to chill and enjoy themselves and have a little a little bit of a customizable and coffee space instead of let's say they they wanted to take a break from playing the game we wanted to give them some other game mode that they could enjoy so that might still happen but we will we will have to see how much time we have yeah for those uh for those of you that are listening and wondering what, what are we talking about we what we wanted to do uh to to keep the you know the lights on like we mentioned before was uh we wanted to make this game that we coined as a lo-fi game basically it's like a, a lo-fi experience that you know it's a little it's an app that you can run it's a pc game and you leave it in the background and you can listen to music and also it has gameplay elements that are akin to i guess the closest thing would be like animal crossing or something like that and then you can you know have all these little game mechanics and it's, it's a small game it's meant to be tiny and it's it's an experimental game and the idea from that is that the cost of making it would be low and we should be able to you know punch that out and then have maybe some proceeds from that and whatever money comes from that would help us fund spaceboat that, that was the plan right now the you know the thing that i mentioned that i, I can't really talk about too much is, is puts that into question in some ways so we're gonna have to put that that project on on, on pause for the moment 
but we're hoping that maybe it'll be like thing that maybe we can add to Spaceboat if, uh, you know, if Spaceboat goes well uh, and just include it with it. If not, we'll come back to that. I'm not letting that one uh, drop. Uh, I'll come back to it later when I can. So it's not, uh, it's just on pause. Yeah, yeah I, I understand. Uh, obviously, you pl plans change, especially when it comes to developing games. Um, yeah. Because the, the thing is, for just an example, I work on my own game at the moment, and I it's I haven't really done anything because I'm searching. I didn't want to do it, but then I decided anyways, okay, let's search for an artist who can do the art, because why not, right? right. <laughs> yeah, so in general, if you go into game development, there's like so much that you need to be flexible. It's just the way that the nature of the game. So I understand that, that you put that on hold. Is that also the reason why the dev streams have dried up? Uh, yeah. Well, there's two things why the dev streams also been put on hold. Uh, one, uh, the whole, uh, I, I can't go into too much de detail, but space trucks might need to be rebranded uh, possibly, but it, it, in general, its production needs to be put on pause out of, for, for reasons that I can't get into. But, yeah, yeah, for the reasons yeah. we can get into. <laughs> but there is another part to that, um, because we could we could do streaming with other things. The reason why I haven't been streaming is because right now, I'm, uh, like for, for those of you that are not aware, like I, I may have mentioned it on my Twitter and stuff like that, uh, I had a flood about a year ago, and that destroyed my home completely and everything that was inside. I'm, uh, you know, just thankful that it didn't include me and my cat. Uh, both of us uh, got out uh, uh, without a scratch, and uh, but we still... I, st I still lost everything, uh, including the the hardware that I was using to make Spaceboat. Um, so, but not the Spaceboat hard drive that was salvaged. We got that. Hard, yeah, one of the hard drives was recovered thanks to uh, a recovery uh, team here in uh, in the city, and also thanks to my fractal design uh, case that somehow filtered the water before it came in, so there was no dirt that went into the hard drive. And anyways, the because of personal reasons, we've also had to pause it because now I'm, I'm uh, you know I'm looking for a new place to live and, and all that. Uh, I've been living in a temporary place that really sucks. That that sounds awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so okay. no, no, no. so you you but you're gonna be fine, right, Louis? Yeah, I think so. Right now mm. I'm in that, that. This is the month where I have to leave this place because I've already um, you know said that I was leaving and uh, and I, I can't wait because currently where I am there's a gym right over my head. There's a lot of uh, so we, we, when we were recording Spaceboat, we had a yeah. lot of noise issues. So the where that place is, it physically looks very nice, but then yeah. it's directly next to a train that runs every every half an hour train doesn't bother me but or or us in general but when you're trying to record and then suddenly you're doing voices and then suddenly you have a, a train coming through <laughs> terrible for recording yeah, um, try to imagine that yeah. a train like based on where i'm s sitting at my table i have a, a train like, regularly passing by on the left not far from the window i have a gym for whatever reason someone decided to put a gym over a tenant uh, right over my head uh, and it's bad because they have treadmills where you can run on then i have some i'll, I'll be polite some some uh some dum-dum uh next door who likes to make furniture at even yeah, two in the morning and, and and then you have the guy with the guitar down below so recording is a struggle over here yeah i can tell you yeah we have we have having to do all the voices and everything i mean lauren lauren's voice is crystal clear because she has a nice uh, a nice booth in her room where she could she can oh, yeah. uh, and she <laughs> and she has that absolutely crisp mic 
but we uh, do we, doing any of the other voices. We had to do it in the back room, and it was just it was a crapshoot as to whether or not it would come out well. And we've had to re-record several things. So we we just need to find a place where the, the, that's quiet enough, so this way we can just record and and do the the voice acting that we need to do. Also, uh, we we really well at least on my end, I I really want to be able to hire professionals that do the voice uh, acting. Like I've I've been doing too many of the voices, and I'm glad that most people don't dislike them so uh it, it's been it's it's not easy so uh, i'm going to see if i can start hiring pe professionals to do the, the like, like lauren like lauren's a perfect example she's she's a professional that does the, the the voice of the main character but all the other characters it'd be nice to to give them the same treatment uh so hopefully we do that but uh, there's a lot of people that really like earl so i might just keep doing earl's voice uh we'll see yeah i'm an amateur voice actor where can i sign up i mean i'm <laughs> <laughs> We'll, uh, have, like we'll, we'll have a character. We'll have a. We'll have something for for a German character that yells at people. Sis comes over, Sarah. <laughs> Actually, it'd be funny to have a, a green Muppet. His name is Orko, yeah. and then you just voice him. That'd be awesome. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but but the thing with the voices, though, uh, one of the one of the main reasons why I, I like there's been a couple people that have offered to do their voice. The thing I don't want to do is uh, have people do professional work without getting paid. So I want to make sure that that the people who are doing this for a living get paid for it, and never and never uh, a scenario where where they're not getting paid. Uh, so that's that's why I've been I've been pretty stringent on that. Yeah, so. we've we've also been holding holding off like tell it, telling people certain news because we we want to make sure that we can give give them a job and give them a position before anything happens. Yeah. Yeah, I I understand that and that's okay. So once the auditions are open, I'm going to apply like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but but you will hear from me. You will hear from me. Okay. So if you okay, so you how did the idea for space boat actually come to pass? Who came up with the idea? That's the least. This is the least. Yeah. This is the least. Yeah. This is his child. Yeah. Uh, other than other than Domino and Siegmeier, this is his child. In the in the 90s, I came up with Space Boat's universe uh, in the 90s, roughly, uh, maybe even early 80s, depending on how you what you count. So I've been I'm an avid dribbler or artist that's been doing lots of drawings however he could, and he learned 3D on his own type of thing, and then um, made a whole bunch of comic books and created a whole bunch of characters, and I was ready to make this this TV show, and it, it you know I sent my cassette out everywhere to all these studios to see if I could get funding to make a you know i was like 16 uh, 16 to 19 i was trying to do this and sending out my cassettes uh, i don't know if anybody remembers what a vhs cassette looks like but i was you know had a big bag of that and then sending it out to every place because i made a, a pilot like as a six minute pilot proposal so it was like these are the characters this is the story uh, this is the universe and i want to make a tv show uh, because i i really wanted to make a game but i i didn't have the, the skills to do that so i figured i might have the skills to be able to make a little tv show and i sent it everywhere and i got no response so then i sat back and i went okay how do i make this happen so i said to myself all right let's let's get the skills let's go into let's go into the industry let's get the skills i need let's learn how this business works and then hopefully i can actually get this off the ground so fast forward 20 years later or 20 ish years uh more more than 20 years later uh and you know i'm like at the point where i'm like okay i've kind of been through everything in a production for video game i think i think now i can do it and and i, I could bring those characters that i created so long ago and uh and here we are so i'm super excited to be able to show some people some of these characters that have been floating in my mind and on a couple of sketches that almost got destroyed by a flood so yeah it's it's been hanging by a thread for for, for 20 years i, I love that 
I love that story. So basically, this is your your baby that you have been carrying around with you for over 20 years. And now yep. it's finally gonna happen because I know it's gonna happen. It just takes time. <laughs> and I love that story. That's great. So another question that I have and what, what I would like to hear is like, so Michelle does most of the writing duties, right? Or all of the writing duties? Well, Luis has an, he always has an idea of what he wants to do sometimes. Like, so for example, a lot of the flavor text he did himself and I'll look at it just to make sure that it makes sense to the audience. Cause there's a very big difference between game writing and narrative design. When you're doing narrative design, you have to constantly think, how is the audience perceiving this with no prior knowledge? Does it make sense in context? Do, does the main quest flow with the with the side quest you know all, all these kinds of things you have to make sure that that the narrative is one clean thread and that it makes sense everywhere even in something like spaceboat where it's a nonsensical kind of humoristic game you have to make sure that everything comes together so oftentimes he will he'll have a first draft of something and then i'll go mm, no and <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense in terms of the uh, the con either context or the audience is not going to know what this is so all the flavor text he did himself and then uh, if he has an idea for the, the dialogue, he'll do a first draft and then I'll look at it and then I'll redo it. And then I'll, I'll make it make sense in the context of the current quest and just to make sure that uh, everything sounds right. And obviously that everything looks right because there's voice, but there's also text on screen. So things have to, things also have to be uniform. You know, your 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 spelling has to be uniform. Your grammar has to be uniform. Uh, you can't, So you have, you have to choose early on in that way. And then you have to make sure everything conforms to your decision in terms of what the narrative is going to be, how it's going to look, and also just to make sure that things fit on screen, right? Because we have a, a certain text box. You also have to make sure that uh, certain conversations don't drag on too long. Otherwise, the audience will will just start skipping, <laughs> just start, start going through. My, my job is really to make sure that all the dialogue makes sense, that everything is snappy, make sure that it's quick and understandable to the audience. I love that. So, and there, and there is no butting heads creatively at all? Uh, sometimes, I mean, but yeah. he, Luis will go, no, I want it to be this way. And I go, eh, that's not, that's not understandable to the audience though. That you have to think of how the player is going to approach something that they've never seen before. So, you know, we, you, we can write ourselves to a hole in the ground and make sure, and we could write anything. But if, if the audience doesn't know, there, there is a way to handle absurdist humor, but if the audience doesn't know what's happening, so for example, like if, if we introduce like a, like a talking pepperoni in, in Spaceboat. Whoa, 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 spoilers. It's, it's going, it's going to, it, it, we have to make that <laughs> make sense. Obviously the world is nonsensical because you have a cat detective, you know, all these things, but uh, you have to make it make sense within the universe. So exactly. you can't, you can't, yeah, that's the thing. So I mean, if you think of something, like I said before, I think of something like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it totally makes sense that alien and a human going around together, one who's stuck in his bathrobe and is just gonna wear it for the foreseeable future because aliens came, they were gonna bulldoze his house and then aliens came and obliterated the world. But that's totally understandable within the context of that story because there's background given obviously and there did so even though we have ridiculous things you have to string them together in a way that makes sense to the audience so so you know even even if Luis says I want this the game I go yeah we could do that but you have to think of how the audience is going to approach this and yeah, how the, yeah. the voice actors are going to read it in the lens another way of looking at it is think of it this way uh, this universe uh sprang from like let's say that when you you take a human being and you put them in a place where they don't want to be your your brain escapes and my escape when I was because 
because uh, my 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 days in high, in high school and and in university and everything that they weren't they weren't happy times. I was doing something I hated simply because the family wanted me to go in that direction. It was it was a thing that uh, that I had to do, and I saw it as a chore, as a homework, uh, like type of, <laughs> like literally homework. Like I just have to do this thing, get it over with, so I can get on with my life. And I was doing 3D animation, modeling, and all that stuff on my spare time. So I, I really didn't have much spare time. And my mind, I think, protected itself from all the all the stuff related to accounting and uh, social, all these sciences. Like basically, I went through a lot of things, and my brain created a cocoon, which was uh, like all these stories and all these characters and this universe as as almost like a defense mechanism. So uh, when I'm when I, all I have to do is close my eyes and I'm in the spaceboat universe, right? And uh, so it might make sense to me, but somebody who comes in and like if I just tell them an idea that I have, it might not make any sense to them. Uh, and that's where Michelle comes in to go, hey, 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 this, this, the, how, how are people going to know what this is? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, in my head, it's like I've, I've known this character for so long in, in that little pocket dimension in my brain that I don't even think about it, but I, I got to do something to explain this character uh, a lot more. So that's the kind of thing that goes on. So, uh, you know, she, she grounds it so that somebody coming in fresh can, can, can actually uh, understand it. Yeah. So from, I, I mean, I dabbled into writing as well a little bit. Michelle knows already about that. And that's actually one thing that I also learned is like, no matter what your universe is, it has internal consistency rules. Yeah. And, oh, that, yeah. and, and that's basically what Michelle is overseeing is basically the consistency that it makes sense to an audience that doesn't have access to your brain. So that's pretty exactly. great. Yeah, I like it. Also, uh, <laughs> keep in mind, a lot of characters are chosen because of our theme. Like we we're we're very anti AAA monetization and all that stuff. But it's it's that general direction of where our society is going, where everything is becoming like what what we're seeing in video games and how it's being monetized. So that theme is is everywhere in Spaceboat. And a lot of the characters that are chosen are 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 based on that theme. So I'll bring characters that can can reinforce that idea or show some aspect of the universe that can can further that that concept and th and that's where michelle also comes in uh, as well to to be able to reinforce that concept uh, as, as best we can that that's great and i i say it again i personally and one thing that i want to mention here i have a viewer on my channel and a long good friend who is really picky when it comes to writing in games he complimented actually the jokes in space boat especially the one with space checks with the free wi-fi <laughs> double pack and whatnot that, that, that is actually how i imagine how coffee shops will be run in the future it, it, it's within the sea theme as you said so basically it's, it's kind of how it's run now though because at least space uh, like something like a, a starbucks starbucks here has a subscription or i should say they have like a points system but luis actually has a subscription for coffee yeah it's from a, a different from subscription. a different company yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like fancy coffee that's crazy <laughs> and I, I i like fancy coffee so I have this uh, this place uh, that I found that uh, that does the the, the the roasting and everything and sends you a bag with nice uh, with really nice beans and then I turn it into a, a, a nice little cappuccino with a little milk art latte art on it uh, so it's like uh, this is my hobby but I enjoy 
I love the taste of coffee, and I have a subscription, just not the one that we have in the game. <laughs> yeah, but but this is this is kind of a little bit different from from the from the car from a coffee shop with a subscription. At least I think yeah. that that makes more sense to me because you yeah. know you like that coffee, you just sign up for it, and then you're just getting a mail every month or every two weeks or whatever. And and that makes I mean everything goes towards subscriptions that is something yeah. that is something that still makes sense to me that you just order like the fancy stuff on subscription and you get it you even have that on amazon i have my monster energy drinks on on sub because i know um, amazon will just <laughs> send them out to me so <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, I forgot that you can that you can literally subscribe to to products on Amazon. I've never done it, but I but that's true. They've given me the option. But I never. I never yeah, bothered. It, you even get it a little bit cheaper. And since Lauren has been uh, very silent as of late, I'm gonna yes. direct a question to her. So okay. I guess it's your first role as a marketing director. So how did you grow in uh, grow into that role as a marketing director was it hard for you or did it really came naturally to you i'd say it was a bit of both really because um i have been doing and trying to build audience audiences since i was a lot younger since i was like 14 i was on youtube doing dances and trying to build an audience and then i went to a place called blog tv which was like justin tv um You'd live stream, you talk, you play guitar, you build audiences on there. And then I went over to Justin TV, built an audience on there. Then it changed to Twitch. And then here we are and stuff. And I also, once I'd finished my degree in science, because I knew I had that as a kind of back thing, like you can now go do creative stuff that you want to do. I've always loved video games and I just wanted to start going to conventions and stuff. And when I did, I got to speak to game developers actually in person and stuff. And once I knew that you could actually get into this industry and it wasn't uh, like completely gated and stuff or like it made me want to just start going for that and doing that as a job and like trying to help market these games and use those skills I'd learned in the past. Um, so I went and became a community manager at a company called Bixar Games and we released uh, Cosmos Quick Stop and I worked with them for three years. So with that, a lot of the stuff as well was having uh, little assets, but trying to continuously keep up the hype on a product for three years, which was quite hard and quite difficult. And I learned so much from that, just doing it on my own because uh, a lot of the jobs, the, the blog writing, uh, the asking for assets or I ideas on assets or just trying to continuously keep that going for so long helped me in this position because then I don't feel like I'm in unknown waters and stuff so yeah but I'm still learning I'd say there is still so much that I'm learning in this position that I didn't know or consider in my previous position also everything just keeps changing I mean the algorithms yeah. and then things like snapchat possibly I mean we never use snapchat but like that is now dead and tiktok yeah. is now one of the biggest biggest uh, apps of all time it's so everything because of the nature the nature of the internet but the but but just the nature of how how quickly social media changes even even just having mr musk buy by twitter people were mm. suddenly panicking and saying oh should we go to mastodon and then master remember we we had we, laura and i were looking at mastodon and it, it was a nightmare because yeah. e even if you already had a personal page everything was crashing because they were not prepared for, even though they're server based they were not prepared for this huge thing so again that was the discussion we had of should we do mastodon should we make a backup because everything is constantly changing it's very difficult to, to keep on top of things mm -hmm. in, in terms of like public face and marketing all that kind of yeah i mean so 
I mean, I just just to chime in on the Mastodon real quick. I understand that people were panicking and just trying to get an out because of Musk, but let me tell you one thing: Mastodon is not it. No, I was gonna say a lot of controversy um, came out of it as well the other day, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have not heard of the controversy, but why I think it's not it. I I made it. I tried to make an account, so I. I try to find first and foremost a server where my content fits in because I'm a content creator first and foremost still, right? right. Yeah. It was an absolute nightmare. I searched for two hours. Then I found three servers. Of these three servers, two were closed for applications and the one I applied to on Thursday last week accepted me today. Oh wow. Yeah, it's a bit, and uh, since, since it's server-based a lot, so you can go to the online one, which is the one I joined, but there's literally nobody there. It's maybe seven, they have maybe about 70,000 people, you know, whereas Twitter has what, two billion accounts and it's public. So if you are on one, like an online server, but somebody else is part of, let's say a server like Orgosaurus uh, applied to, we will never see each other's posts. We will never cross. And it's even, even though it is a good way to, let's say, block people you don't want to deal with or, or uh, things like that, it is so impossible to actually find anything on there. It's it, really, as it is now, it's not good. This is, this is the one thing I do not understand. Like, there is already a good tool to deal with people you don't want to deal with on Twitter as yeah. well. It's the block button. Just use yeah. it. Yeah. Or you could you could even use the filters just to mute certain words you don't want to see. I had I had a student the other day. He's like, how do I, uh, why do I have to keep hearing about such and such event? I said, you know, you can just go to the filters button. And if you, because I have everything NFTs and all the crypto bros, any, any Twitter thing that uses NFT is gone. I don't see it because all you have to do is filter it out. I think people are just not aware that these tools exist on Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. But I will say they're not. Twitter is not very good at helping with harassment. Oh no, absolutely not. They're, they're, uh, yeah, like yes. you, yeah, you said you can block, but when I had a stalker um, for quite a few years, they would just make a new account. So I'd block that account, and then five minutes later, they have a new account which is harassing me, and then you block that account, and then you block another account, and they would make a thirty to forty new accounts. It's the same with TikTok. Yeah. I've had I've had a stalker for the last few weeks, and I just kept blocking the account and he just makes a new one and that's a as long as you have a new email they the the software just doesn't recognize that it's a that it's the same person so. it's weird because there's a lot of systems out there that this is called ban evasion right because you, you get banned from from complaints and then they create a new account and usually your ip is is uh you you can always you can always go back to like the the sort plan anyways there's there's ways of doing this it's just i don't understand why they're not putting money into detecting people trying to do ban evasion mm. i mean that could be one thing how they could solve it i always see it like this as much as i hate this for people who get stalked or have a stalker i personally always think that it just comes with having a public platform as much as it sucks there is it, that, that is that is how it is unfortunately it's yeah. just how it is because you cannot you cannot make assholes just go away they exist and we unfortunately have to live with them yeah you can put them in a cage though uh, yeah well, i mean yeah you can <laughs> like you can put them in prison and at one point no but i'm I, you know what i mean like yes. yeah, there, yeah. there will always be assholes they will always come back and they somebody at some point in the world will just birth another asshole because that's the cycle of assholes 
And uh, no, it, it, it's yes, just, I know what you mean. I know. Yeah, it's part and parcel of the world, I guess. I mean, maybe I'm I'm having a too too simple view of things, but that that's how I approach it. Like, no, I under I understand what you mean, which is, and I I actually spoke about this the other day, which is the unfortunate part. I am now contractually obligated to have my own TikTok by by my publishers, and I hated it. I hate I don't like doing it, and I. I wish I didn't have to do it, but now I have to, uh, because all, all the other social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram are no longer viable. They're not growing. So I have to go to places that are growing. And luckily my TikTok is doing well, but of course with success comes assholes, as you say, uh, There's and there's no shortage of them. And it, it sucks. I really hate this whole, as the, as the kids say, the parasocial dynamics where you you present you know I, my, my channel is very positive i just talk about books and games i like and that's it there's nothing else on there that that is negative or or uh negative baiting and no matter what i put up there there's always going to be somebody who immediately starts the whole angsty doll this game sucks you suck and i hate everything you like and i go oh come on like why why i'm not we're not we're not doing this here and the, it is it is a sad fact of having a public face and i try not to put my face on my videos because i've had stalkers in real life who have threatened my life and and i do worry about it it is something i think about now is somebody gonna recognize me from my channel and just threaten my life and unfortunately because of contracts i don't have a choice it's something that nobody should ever have to deal with and yet it is as you say it's an unfortunate happening with, with regard to because pe people see you and they think that they know you because of your the content that you provide and your channel and things like that now obviously you can get to know the people that are in your your chat and in your channel and you can make friends and th that's wonderful but much of the time people who support you think that they that they know you or that they know your life this guy who was who was stalking me on my tiktok channel was constantly asking me to marry him every every video will you marry me will you marry me the first few times you know it was funny and i tried to just engage in conversation just to see if this person was just joking or they were really nuts and then i realized about maybe a week ago this person is really crazy because he has several uh, accounts that have already been blocked and i can't I'm, he's finally gone i'm hoping he doesn't come back but now I look, I don't want to do stuff on my TikTok channel anymore because this is how people react. It is an unfortunate uh, thing that happens when it comes to social media, but it shouldn't have to, or you should be able to, to, there, there should be tools in place that, that block people Yeah. And on a, on a better basis. I know there are obviously though, you can, you can just hit the block button, but there has to be something that isn't tied to, uh, email or cause you know, you can have, you can make tons of emails and just keep making, keep making, uh, uh accounts. Okay. Back to Spaceball. Is there anything that you want to tell the audience about your game before we go into the talk about the gaming industry at the moment? Uh, maybe the only thing is uh, that I just touched uh, briefly is that uh, our game touches on the gaming industry. That's it's a very meta game. So if you're like, for example, uh, how they're selling games and uh, the tricks that they're using in order to make more money off of people and how they're manipulating people with uh, psychological disorders in order to make more money, all of that stuff, that's actually a really big part of our game. So it's a meta game. And that absolutely love it for it because there has to be a game that touches upon that there's some there are some other games that hint at it or you know they'll talk about certain aspects of of uh, the gaming industry but not not in the same way i think okay that's i mean that's 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 fair but i'm just gonna say 
that personally, like I say, I'm I'm a big fan of your game, of the demo that exists, you know that. Mm. And uh, I can't wait for it to come out finally, because I think you're <laughs> doing all the right things. And you're a great bunch of guys and gals. Thank you, that's really kind of you to say. <laughs> okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about the gaming industry. I mean, if you played Spaceboat, I, I know basically where you stand, but let's... Uh, we obviously have people listening who didn't play Spaceboat, and if you didn't, you should be very ashamed of yourself and go to Steam and play it now. So... <gasps> Let, let me let me take you back. So this question might be pretty easy for Louis and Michelle, maybe not so much for Lauren, but we'll see. Go so it. It, it is it is a very, very hot summer day. It is the end of the 80s or, or the beginning of the 90s. Your mom gave you some allowance. And you ran to Blockbuster and could buy a bag of chips, a Coke and rent a video game. Now you're back home. It is the weekend, you're done with the homework, you have ice cubes for your coke, you have your bag of chips at the ready. Which video game did you rent? Let's start with Louis. Alright, so during that era, one of the fun things was Blockbuster and a whole, whole bunch of these more uh, local places would allow you to rent, a, I remember renting NES games, that's the, the old grey cartridges, the, the big ones on the on the machine that you had to blow air into the cartridge before putting in the cartridge. Yes. Uh, so you would pay a dollar, it was a buck here in Canada, it was a dollar and you you could rent a game and then if and it was good for the weekend and you had to bring it back on on monday it was like the, the weekend uh, rental and uh, the thing that was interesting about it was if you didn't like the game for whatever reason you could go back to the store and swap it for another game so if you were fast enough to beat a game you could go get a second game and uh, have some fun that way the one that comes to mind for i don't know why it's like the crappiest of all the games i played back then it was it was a blue cartridge called silent assault that that, that weekend will will i will always remember I, I punched in silence assault i was all happy i you know just like you said i had i'd had something to eat and everything it was the weekend i just rented the game and i was excited because it was a blue cartridge it was different and it had cool cover art and i had the the manual and everything because you could rent it with the manual and it was the worst game i'd ever played in my life it was so terrible <laughs> so horrible <laughs> I swear to God, that was the moment where I went, okay, there's clearly there's clearly games that are, are worth my time and there are other games that really suck and have to do these things like make the cartridge blue to get people interested in them. And that's where it started really for me in a way, because I was like, think about it. In order to make sales, they made the cartridge blue and it worked. Like as a little kid, I actually took that game, but then I brought it back immediately and I got something else like a Mega Man that would keep me busy for like for days and I'd have to write down the code in order to be able to continue. Uh, so. Mega Man was always like my staple go-to game at the time when I was a kid, and uh, I had my I had like two games of my own that I owned. Everything else was always a, a, a rental, so I had like Ninja Turtles, I had like Mike Tyson's Punch Out, and things like that that I owned. So yeah, whenever in doubt, Mega Man it. Uh, so <laughs> rent everything basically, uh, everything I could. <laughs> Mega Man it if you're in trouble. <laughs> I like that. So who's next? Uh, not me because I never received money from my parents to go get anything. So I. I can't do this. <laughs> I never had. I never had an allowance to do this. Well, you 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 got the money to do it. You get the allowance. For uh, <laughs> th thank you. I appreciate my three dollars. That that in <laughs> 1980 would have made me a millionaire now. 
I suppose I'll do it then. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, Blockbuster, I'd say Digimon World uh, for a weekend was absolutely amazing. One of the best games ever. And it made me kind of... I, I kind of love Digimon more than Pokemon. I know everyone loves Pokemon. <gasps> I love them both, but like... Digimon more so. A lot more so than... Yeah, and uh, it got to the end of the weekend. I hadn't finished the game. I was really sad and had to, had to give it back. And I was like, no, I've not done it all yet. And that was in 1999. Oh my god. <laughs> that was that was ten years ago, right? Uh what? No. no. <laughs> when, when you're when you're old like us, you think nineteen ninety nine was ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, no, that that that's okay because I, I actually said I, I actually thought that Lauren is a bit younger than us. So I Sorry? No no I I, 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 I cut you I cut you some slack, so it's okay. <laughs> how how you how young did I you think I was? I would say you were end twenty. Now end twenty and yeah. when you when end you end twenties. End twenties now. And when you rented that I would say maybe eight. I think so, yeah. So I'm twenty now. I'm fatty this year, so <laughs> good good guess, Orko. Right on the money. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> Michelle doesn't want to answer the question, I guess. Well, I'll, it's, not, it's not that I don't want. It's, so here, here, instead of instead of, because we we actually never uh, we couldn't we couldn't rent games uh, growing up where where I was. So we didn't rent them. Instead, my grandfather, the best thing that ever happened. So th Kirby Kirby just had its 30th anniversary, right? Yeah. So when I was eight years old, I got I had a Game Boy. I think when I was six, I think. And when I was eight years old, though, Kirby's Dreamland released right before my birthday and it was it was I think it was 29.99 it was an expensive game when you consider the inflation from is it like 19 1992 uh the inflation was pretty uh the inflation is pretty good so that game was like 29.99 where I was we couldn't get it and my grandfather got it for me for my birthday and it was the only time where I had woken up and I was being told to get ready for school where I actually got a birthday gift before I was like sent off to school I always had to wait until I came home from school to, to get a gift. This was the first time where I was presented with a gift before school. It sucked because I couldn't play it. I had to go to school, but I was so happy and excited. And I just remember Kirby being, obviously Kirby being white on the box because I thought he was a little flying marshmallow. And when I saw later advertisements for it though, I realized Kirby is pink. And I went, what? They, they lied to me. <laughs> He's supposed to be white. <laughs> and I realized obviously they just did that for the, the box art because in Game Boy you can't really show colors that much. You can do shades, right? You can do shades of gray. But that that was that was a really special time for me, little me being younger, growing up with a series. Uh, it, the, the new Kirby game is amazing, but you know they're like, oh, it's Kirby's 30th anniversary. Thanks, Kirby. Thank you for reminding me how old I am, you little bitch. Great, awesome. But it, it made me think of that time and uh and getting getting kirby's dreamland for the first time and how i still remember everything all the secrets still remember all like flying out of the screen to get to get a secret still remember the music everything yeah i i it's funny i i actually know now that we might be the same age 
Because when I was eight years old, I also got Kirby on <laughs> my Game Boy when it was released. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, if you if you were eight when you got Kirby, and and it's his thirtieth anniversary, you know exactly how yeah, old I am. Yeah. <laughs> we might be the same year. Just just saying. Yeah. If you could. I mean, I, I know the answers already and everyone who played Spaceball probably will too, but still, if you could change one thing about current game industry, what would that be? This time, I uh, start... Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, go, Michelle. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to pick somebody else to, to start. Uh, just uh, funding capacity, because, I mean, not only for us, but for so many people that we know who are stuck in AAA, because, just merely because of just inflation, funding problems, money crisis. We, we have people who we know who would love to come work with us, but where they are, even though they hate the studio that they're working for, they can't leave because, you know, either they have children and they need the financial security or they're even though they're being, uh, let's say, I won't, I won't say emotionally abused, but uh, they're being exploited or taken advantage of in terms of time. They would love to leave AAA or wherever they are, and they would love to come to work on a game that they actually feel proud of. And that's not to say that there there aren't toxic issues in indie games too, as we know. We know that you know certain studios have, have had issues as well. But they would love to leave the toxic AAA atmosphere, and they can't because there's no financial security, unfortunately, in many many indie game avenues, and it sucks. It's just it frankly sucks. And I wish we could, I wish there was some better funding venture. A lot of people, I, I know there's a huge misconception about, we have something called the, um, uh, the CMF, which is the Canadian Media Fund. There's a huge misconception by Americans. They think, oh, you know, you just apply and they give you money for games because they think it's a grant. They don't understand that it's not, it's an investment loan. And the CMF, yeah, sure, the, they might give you some cash, not much, but you then have to pay that back. So whether your game does well or not. There are avenues that we do have in Canada for this kind of funding, but again, it's no guarantee. And I understand with any creative endeavor, you know, you, it is, it's a risk. It's how it is. A lot of people and a lot of investors will not take that risk, especially if you're making a game that talks about the evils of late stage capitalism. They're not, they're not going to be interested because they want to make money. And that, of course, I understand. But I wish there were a way that AAA companies that have bad practices would stop getting money. And I wish that uh, small companies that would like to make a game with substance could easily get money. Because as we say, Kickstarter, they, they're of course now dabbling in things like crypto and NFTs, which are not good. And we would like some way for people to be able to fund uh, something while giving while giving people the workers who are who are working on the game better security better job security maybe benefits something like that because most indie companies can't offer that and as a result we lose out on a lot of talent that is stuck in AAA merely because of funding security i i think the the, the biggest issue in this regard is that these AAA companies are not just content with just making money they want to make all of the money yeah exactly yeah and, because and it always it has to be about growth and so you have to impress your investors so what yeah. happens when you don't impress your investors you lay off 50 people so it looks like you keep making money when you're not actually making money. yeah and and this is also why this entire mid-tier market that we had until let's say the ps2 maybe early stages mm -hmm. ps Three, like these entire mid-tier games, they're completely gone. It's coming back now, though. But yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the double A, the double A games were 
are just for the last two generations have been missing. So now it is coming back. There are uh, avenues like uh, Annapurna Interactive 505, uh, even I would say Devolver, now that they're uh, a public traded company, I would say even they're not so indie anymore, but that's fine. They will fill out the mid-tier that we have been missing for the last two generations. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah and and that's, that's something that I, I personally miss that because I used to play PlayStation Bingo with my friends. We would mm. just go mm -hmm. into, I had a video rental store just down the street and we would just go there and just pick any game, like <laughs> anything. Like we we played some hot garbage and some great games. Like, any of them in blue cartridges? They're all, they're all like blue, <laughs> like the PlayStation 2's packaging. <laughs> Ah, uh, true. Uh, at least the packaging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, that that's what we did, and I I kind of miss miss this kind of mid tier market because yeah. obviously there was creativity. Yes, obviously. I mean, not all triple A games are bad. Like one of my favorite games last year was Resident Evil Eight, and that's as triple A as you can get. But these mid tier games, I miss them. I miss them so much. Because you have, I mean, as you said, they are coming back now, and I'm glad for it. But either you have like indie games or AAA games, and like nothing in between in terms of production value. I think a lot of, so for example, I'll just mention, let's say NIS, right? NIS, even though they are technically, they do have a lot of money, they will make tons of games that cost, let's say, a million bucks. Like that's it. So for example, they're put, they're putting out Makai Kingdom again and they just put they put out phantom brave again and those games didn't cost them that much to make bad those were those were their double a games back in the day but people liked them and i think nintendo also puts out some or they'll fund some smaller games that was also like the playstation playstation initiative for for the original indie game idea was that they would fund some small games that was the joy of xbla back in 2008 2009 where they had mid-tier slash indie games that they would put on those things so i think now it is coming back but uh, the Japanese companies actually do have mid-tier games still, but we don't get them because they're not localized. A lot of the, so somebody the other day was complaining about how level five, even though they're technically AAA, their games are no longer coming to North America because it cost way too much for them to localize their games and they weren't making enough money back. So their games would technically be, with obviously with the exception of something like Nino Kuni, uh, their games would be mid-tier, but we don't get them anymore. The, the, fu so. the funny thing about that is actually that sometimes they even get localized. Like I just ordered Seven Pirates HD other day on uh, PlayAsia for the Switch. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they just have these kind of mid-tier games that are localized in English and they just don't sell it in the region. Yeah, exactly. Because they localize it for Hong Kong and then they don't. Luis and I played the very first version of Demon's Souls way back in, in the end of 2008 when it was only localized in English for Hong Kong and it was the worst, but the best localization. I want to get a t-shirt yeah. that has what we used to read as a message in yeah. Demon's Souls because Demon's Souls was like the first game that I ever got to play as well that had these this concept of being able to put a message down on the ground for other yeah. players to see to help them out and it, it's funny because the the first one that we played was uh wasn't fully translated yet and the words or where it was but it was like a work in progress uh beta type of thing the and worst uh so good it, it was so good because you go up to this message and it would like i had no idea what the, the heck this message system was and i was like what is this this is harsh evaluate me and i'm like yes. what does that mean <laughs> 
I have no idea what that means. And then later on, we realized, you know, um, that the wording for it meant vote, uh, uh, appraise this to uh, to give items, basically, because that's it's how give me life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just want to get a T-shirt that says that. This is harsh. Evaluate me. It's yeah. I have this. I have this version too. I still have my Korean PS3 version here, and I distinctly remember that y you you would find these souls, like this item that turns into souls that you can use as a currency then. And I never used them because it just said that when you looked looked at the item, it said turns user into a soul. And I'm like, holy shit, what if that kills me? <laughs> That's awesome. I never used them. And then I was finding out at one point after looking up, I, I wasn't big on looking up stuff back then. I wasn't also really that much on Twitter or other socials. And I, I looked that up and I just felt it was mind blowing. I was like sitting on a million, on, on multiple millions of souls and I didn't know. Yep, that's great. The, 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 because I, I didn't, what if that kills me? What if I lose all my souls? And yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, there was no community yet for, for Demon yeah. Souls. I remember going, uh, I was working at EA at the time when that came out, and I remember going to work and, and uh, some people, well, we were working on, uh, I was working on our, our Army of Two, I think, at that time. It was for a short period. I didn't work on it for very long. And uh, the people that were there were like, oh, you're playing that ugly game because Demon Souls, when it when it was announced, it didn't look very nice. It Everything was dark and harsh and hard on the eyes, but it got better with time. And I remember all the, all the people that just that there was no there was no interest in it and even when dark souls one came out it was still considered niche so it's it's it took forever for the community to really to to be formed and it's surreal it's really surreal to see elden uh, elden ring hit 12 million uh sales in, in in just two weeks it was just it was just surreal to see how how it has changed so much since the early days that yeah played. and imagine we've we've been there like i don't know if lauren was if you were like started out with demon souls or anything no um i was more rts girl so more into settlers age of empires uh red alert command and conquer that is um, very respectable i love those games <laughs> i do too i do too adore them yeah that was uh, me <laughs> yeah but like what what i the, the thing i want to say is like we've been there we've seen this growth and it's actually one of the greatest success stories in the gaming industry i think and one of the most positive examples of growth in the gaming industry together with no man's sky yeah yeah uh, that, that, that that that's one of the greatest comeback stories of all time yeah for me it's also that it it stayed true to its form it's like mm -hmm. from day one it was hard but you had to learn how to play and learn from your death and that concept has stayed all the way to the end even now when it's super popular you still have this large group of people that want an easy mode and they don't realize that it easy mode is it's going to break the game it's going to make it terrible if you put an easy mode and, and that we're just too too used to having the games adapt to what we want to have so we just complain about something things get get adjusted to maybe be easier or to no they stay true all the way to the end and there's a whole community that supports that that's for me it's mind-blowing I, I i can't even like remember the 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 wii era where the casual gamer was king where it was like the dark times of game development for me well, anyway because they're all they're all on phones now now phones are strong enough to to fill that market yeah but but casual player concept is is like now is 
is like this thing on the side like yeah they're on the phones but like it's amazing to see games like elden ring do so well i i'm just super excited for for what this this could mean for the industry yeah obviously but there is still and and i i'm gonna ask you this in a minute what you three think of this and then we have to go back to the initial question because we drifted up completely since you are game developers what do you think of the concept that accessibility has something to do with difficulties real quick with difficulty we we actually talked about this yesterday because accessibility and uh, game difficulty are not the same thing accessibility has to do we we define accessibility more with how how is it that somebody who has uh, a different uh, way of playing or somebody let's say who's physically disabled in some way how can they approach a game that's something that we're always very conscious of when we talk about spaceboat obviously spaceboat is not a souls game and doesn't have uh, that kind of difficulty, but we added we Andy. Yeah, we still have to think about it, but we added Andy into the game, let's say for people. We uh, we watched a bunch of streamers, we watched a, specifically a streamer who was, was struggling. He had ADHD and he kept forgetting what quest he was, even though it says in the corner, like what you have to do, he kept forgetting what he had to do. So, so Luis said, you know what, let's make a character where if you're stuck or if you keep forgetting, if you, let's say you want to go off and talk to some other character and you don't remember what to do, let's make a character that will give you a hint if you want it. And so Luis designed and put Andy into the game. And so we even we even made like little um, achievements based on whether you talk to Andy or not. Now Andy's there. You don't have to talk to him. You can you Actually, can decide that you don't want to talk to him at all. And he's there for multiple reasons. Actually, one yeah. of them is there for you, Orcasaurus, and every other content creator that's streaming the game. So that if something's happening in your chat and you lose track of what you're doing in the game, uh, you can just go to Andy. Andy will help you out. He'll put you back uh, on track, and you'll be able to just focus on enjoying the game instead of having to figure out puzzles yeah but that that that's that's actually also what i personally understand of accessibility like different color options somebody who yeah. uh, who helps you with the game but like if i want to for example i can just not go to any or just can turn it off that that right. is what i'm that is what i'm talking about this is accessibility yeah. and I, I i find it very dishonest that a lot of or not a lot of people but certain segments of I, I see it on twitter and i guess there's also people in the gaming industry start arguing that difficulty is also accessibility and it's not yeah. it is totally. not no. because no. No, because we're, we're not gonna so for example we have like the the lightning puzzle in the game right you have to do a bit of platforming we're not going to make that easier we're not that, that that's how it is it's it's a it's a short puzzle if you want to there are ways that you can get we give people different ways of dealing with it for for the accessibility but it is designed the way it is designed for a reason and it's not it, we're not going to give you a button that turns it off it's just and a little challenge you know, and it doesn't yeah. stop you from being able to get through it by by just just pushing forward just powering and through, through. Yeah. yeah you won't you won't die from it we'll never do that but it's a challenge there for those that want it like just to so you know my, my particular case is a bit different because i'm also an able gamer meaning i have a physical disability uh so i have two prosthetic legs and i, I don't have a left hand really i have something but it's not it's not much and i'm i've gone through every souls game there ever was so if someone tells me that the souls games is too difficult i'm like look dude uh to block i have to jab the left trigger into my thigh in order 
for it to, to work. So if I can do that, then then and this other guy is using a Dance Dance Revolution pad to play the game. It's it's not a question about how the game is accessible or not. It's a question of are you adapting to the game? Are you or are you or are you going to the game with the with the idea that the game will adapt to you? It's like you you have to accept that the game has a design. Learn the design, and I think that's the biggest problem. People don't understand that it has nothing to do with like the difficulty that they're having is not anything to do with accessibility and and that that doesn't you know it's like game reviewers can't seem to even review the game because they can't play it it's like just think about that for a sec they're not even able to play it and a person with a one hand having to jab his leg for for a block is getting through the game on a What's regular controller on? too you don't have one of the special xbox controllers you play with a regular controller i had a special one at one point that that was destroyed in the flood and they're expensive so I, I, yeah so i went back to an, uh, just a uh, a regular controller so but it is what it is uh, i mean it's it's just mind-boggling that that this concept of easy and accessible have been combined together it's very very i think it's it's incredibly wrong to think that way i mean um, I, I saw a video of a paraplegic beating Sekiro, so... No, he was yeah. he was quadriplegic even, so he's like, yeah. you, you don't have an excuse. And, and I think this is just... A lot of people always say that, like, hardcore gamers like me are entitled, and it's certainly true. But I also think that casual gamers are entitled as well by demanding, like, the games adapting to their non-willingness to learn the game. Exactly. Yeah, so and, for example, I mean, they... Margit, when they put Margit in, in Elden, ring he's a perfect example of teaching people how to play the game because if you approach him at level one i mean obviously there are people who can do it but if you can't win if you keep you you can go off and do something else for 40 hours and then come back to him and beat him with what you've learned. There was somebody on one of my channel who said they, they put down the game because they couldn't beat Malakath. I said, well, there's an item that's in your inventory if you go to this place and it will it will make him significantly easier. And then that person realized he had that item in his inventory the whole time and never read the item description. So I don't know. I mean, Lauren, did did you find did you find Margaret that hard after you, you went off to Caleb? That the is that the first boss yes that's the first boss uh i found it hard at the start because i'm only level 16 it was 25 recommended um mm -hmm. so what i did is i ran off and i went and got the dog uh the rod hound dog, dog. Yeah. yeah so then i realized because it was doing damage more damage i could uh defeat him because i don't like to give up on games ever and just it just makes me and forces me to find a different way to try to defeat it and it, that's the fun because mm -hmm. you feel a lot more satisfaction if you keep struggling but then you try to do it a different way and then you solve it yep. so yeah yeah but then this is this is your first souls game right Lauren? yeah yeah exactly so you the game the game is teaching you to do something else it's telling you this is not working and it's not that it's hard it's that what you're doing is not working so go do mm -hmm. something else yeah yeah and and, this and that's is, it but i think this is ingenious design like how they did elden ring it's actually so incredible well designed i think it's yeah. the easiest of the souls game i agree Absolutely. but it's also or one of the most beginner friendly let's put it that way but it's also so incredible subtle and well designed and it's just i don't know why people are complaining about it like it's too hard it, it it just tells you flat out if you're if you pay attention that you're doing it wrong and you should just go back and do maybe something I would say else. So, I would say something. My only criticism is some things are unbalanced. So for example, I have ripped through you know most of the bosses without any trouble at all, and then one enemy in the middle of the the, the snowfield will one shot me as I'm just riding by, not even not even bothering it. 
So certain things, certain things are unbalanced, but overall, you know, the the game teaches you to adapt if well, you're I paying think, attention. I think there's there the, like my my only complaint about the game is the uh, how opaque it is in the sense that it, it you have no idea what the numbers are. Uh, a lot of times I'm like greatly increases or vastly increases. Give me a number. Let me let me see the number. I'll understand it better. And the even the system with the A, B, and C, it's very inaccurate. Uh, so there's people that have proven that a weapon that has a, a B rating can actually beat in damage, pure damage, uh, it'll scale better than an A rating because of how it, how the, the, the numbers work. Anyways, the, the point is, I find that the game is, is terrible for that, at giving you actual solid numbers of what's going on. And that's not just Elden Ring, there's a lot of games out there. So one of my, one of the games I used to play a lot, and I haven't played for over a year, uh, was Destiny. And they had the same kind of approach where they would give you vague descriptions of what the the item does. So you give that to a new player and you just give these vague kind of descriptions and they're not going to be able to dive in and really come up with theories easily because of that, I find. And and people like me who love the theory crafting and putting things together and trying stuff out, we're, we're hit with a wall with, with materials. It's like, oh, in order to really see what this thing can do, I need to, need to fully upgrade it with these materials that I don't have accessible, so I need to make a choice. So those kind of things kind of ruin the experience experience a little bit for me like i didn't actually there is there's parts of the game I, I absolutely did not enjoy because of that because i felt like i'm i'm stuck they built this beautiful system and then i can't really explore it because they built another system on top of it which is these materials that i can't i can't seem to find yeah um, but that's until the very end of the game that's fair criticism uh, i was talking yeah. about the the difficulty and i said people criticize yeah, yeah. But the, and and that's, as a result the, yeah yeah, but that that's like fair criticism. I don't want to say that Elden Ring is perfect. I'm just saying that it, it, obviously it has flaws, but overall, like, the design is just so good. Like, Oh, yeah. Obviously, oh, yeah. There, yeah. there are flaws in every product, but and everyone will point to a flaw they don't like. There are people who don't like Elden Ring at all. That is also very okay, because it's not for everyone. I'm just... My my general point is just stop complaining about difficulty in games and get uh, get <laughs> off. And, uh, I mean, where's the hard difficulty in Life is Strange? I don't get yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I played that. Let's go back <laughs> to the question. Lauren, if you could change one thing in the gaming industry, what would it be? The sexual harassment. I would change that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. As I always tell people, it is unfortunately everywhere. It's just more pronounced in games because of the, um, I would say the the percentage of male to female, at least in the West, but in the in the in Japan actually, especially certain studios, it's quite even uh, in terms of. Uh, male to female ratio of employees uh something that miyazaki had uh, not miyazaki oh my gosh miyamoto had said was because we were talking about Elden Ring. miyamoto had said when he went to european studios he was shocked that they had so few women when at nintendo they have quite a few uh many many women who who work for them and i think it's more pronounced in the west again because of the ratio balance as well i think because games you know such a huge industry but it's the same i will tell you it's the same in publishing it's exactly the same in terms of uh, getting harassed by agents, getting harassed, you know, pe people holding contracts over your head saying that, oh, if you don't do this, uh, we will make sure your book never gets published. It's uh, I've heard it happen everywhere. And it, it, it's, it's just an un unfortunate that it's so pronounced in games. It's funny. So I, I wasn't really aware that 
Japan has like a better ratio from male uh, male to female? In, in the big companies they in do. The I don't big, know about the small companies. Yeah, yeah but, but imagine like from Japan come these like H games, NSFW games and everything. And to, to, to imagine like that they don't have as much of harassment problems as we do in the world. That, that says something. That says a lot. Just... They, they, the there, there, there are obviously there are some issues with the obviously. industry in Japan, like like overworking and all that stuff. But all of the major companies, so for example, Final Fantasy XIV, the lead writer, woman, Elden Ring, the main composer, is a woman, and these are not things that they have ever. It's not not something that they ever think about. And it is. It, I do agree. It is strange for for a country that puts out so many booby games. <laughs> <laughs> goes back but, to the whole YouTube thing yeah. and Orcasaurus's channel. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So for for and yet and yet their society is still very misogynistic with a lot of women in their 30s literally being kicked out of companies because they they go, "Oh, well, if you're going to have a kid, you can't work here anymore." Yeah. Obviously, things are changing now, but still, it's amazing that w women in Japan are getting such such good positions and yet, you know, nobody nobody talks about it. It's just a thing that happens and it's wonderful. Uh, the, the main designer for Animal Crossing as a woman wonderful but yet here it's made or i should say in the west it's made such a big deal of and then the harassment that happens and you know i, I, I don't under, i don't i don't know where the disconnect is i don't know where it is i think making this huge fuss about stuff is also where part of the harassment comes from because i mean when they when they employ a lady and like oh this is a game designed by a woman and whatnot yeah, so yeah, what? I, I mean, make a good yeah, game we, and we, I we, don't care, you know? Exactly, that's the problem, is that we say, so what? And then it's a lot of a lot of major companies like to do the virtue signaling where they go, aha, we've hired 10 women, look at us, aren't we so great? Yeah. And then all the women are going, could you not do that? Because now you're drawing attention to me and people will find my Twitter or people will go here and then they'll start harassing me. Whereas in, in other countries, it's just like, oh, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. And they, they also don't oblige their, their employees to have social media accounts. A lot of Western companies do because to them it's considered free marketing right you should be glad you should be happy to work on a game that yeah. i mean and it it can backfire so for example alana pierce who uh, was a very she worked for rooster teeth and she wrote uh, she wrote part of ruby etc and she was of course a very popular streamer but she now works for sony and she got so much flack from everybody saying oh it's only because you're popular they're using you as a marketing piece that you got hired and she's like great awesome this is uh, i was really excited to work for sony and now I'm not excited anymore and I can under I can understand her her frustration and her anger because as you say a lot of these big companies are using it as a as a guilt trip or a marketing tool that oh look at us we're hiring women that's not well, actually anybody. I had this discussion uh, I was working for um oh, actually I won't I won't say any details but I was working for a, a smaller company and you got to consider that I was talking to two guys two guys that were high up in the company and they were like oh yeah we need to hire women and I was like wait 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 you don't just hire women you you have to have a proper role open up and 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 find somebody who fits you know the role that you want and prioritize women and they're like no no we're gonna just hire women i'm like what role it doesn't matter and i'm like oh my god uh this is terrible like if you hire someone as a token for no reason other than 
we just need to be able to show that we're we're uh, we're down with the uh, the like the current uh, current um, ideology, then that's a terrible thing for the person that's coming in. If they find out that they're a token hire, what 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 are you doing to them? You're you're ruining someone's life pretty much because now they they don't they won't feel like they actually uh, have earned it, and it's just going to create a whole bunch of problems with the other people that are also at work realizing that somebody got hired and they don't even have to do any work really, and it's and it creates this disgusting environment. And I was like, and by your own criteria, you wouldn't hire yourself because you're a guy. So explain to me how this works that two, two uh, in this case, it was two white guys. I was like, explain to me how two white guys uh, are telling us exactly uh, like that you want diversity and you want women and you're going to hire someone like that. It really sends a really bad message and, a, and the image is actually quite terrible. So I, I strongly recommended for them to stop doing this and to hire people with the qualifications first and prioritize prioritize based on on, on what, what you think is right. And then I was like, I was basically shunned after that because I was this, I was one of the few seniors that were there. From then that point on, they just didn't include me in any uh, any conversations. And I was like, okay, all right, hire whoever you want, but you're creating, a, you're going to create a very nasty cultural uh, environment environment like a business culture imagine imagine like getting advice from somebody who you just said you are disabled basically if i can say that mm -hmm. imagine yeah. like getting getting advice from somebody who's disabled and actually fits in the environment that they want to foster and then shunning him yeah. that's so fucking stupid sorry i yeah, know and i'm also hispanic right so i've, I've seen my share of uh, of racism towards that too uh, sometimes it's just ignorance that turns into a form of, of race uh, of racism but it, it's like i i i guess i'm one of those weird uh groups because most people just you know look at me and they say oh it's a white dude and it's like you don't you don't understand you can't just just dismiss me now just because of that it's like i i have my own problems yeah. and i'm kind of in the middle ground where sometimes people put me in a, in a group anyways it's just it, for me it's always been tough uh, like the whole disabled thing is rough because some people don't even realize i'm disabled they just are not aware that you know i don't clap at the boardroom <laughs> meetings so they think oh he's just, he's not with the team wow. i am not kidding you i have i have had people <laughs> say to me things that were like absolutely devastating and I and I just sat there just thinking you're an idiot and on top of that you're putting me in a really uncomfortable position like for example there was a team bonding experience oh yeah uh, that was that they were yeah in this one place where where we where I was working it was like okay we need to have a team bonding experience so we're gonna do is like we're gonna make two teams and we're gonna go out in the city and we're gonna go and explore so I have decided to legs. make a they decided to make a treasure hunt on the hottest day of the year it was like no 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 Oh, this was not uh, that's that's the other thing no this was actually it was cold already and there was ice still oh, on, the, oh. on the ground so i was like ice and prosthetics are kind of a bad combo i avoid the ice and walking outside because i might fall down and not necessarily even hurt myself but i could break my prosthetics and that my life quality of life goes down because it takes a while until that's fixed so i'm like it's a this is not this is not going to be good team bonding and also you, you guys are going to be running around uh, you know i have a, a speed problem with all this extra all the all the carbon alloy and titanium that's like that strapped strapped my legs this is a horrible team bonding experience already it's like you already failed at creating a team bonding experience and then they were like you're so you're not you're not much of a team player are you and I, I am not joking they said that to my face yeah it's like and wow you, i mean you if for you uh, and and i'm i'm I, I side with you here but from your perspectives obviously it's a horrible team bonding experience like they left they left they left you basically out how can they build a team i mean they could have just 
do something else instead and say okay he's part of the team so let's do something he can do maybe approach him and ask you for a suggestion that that would be maybe the way to go but yeah okay you're apparently not much of a team player but no but not just that but then they're gonna say that when they're doing the team bonding experience oh he's you know he's he didn't come with us because he's not a team player yeah <laughs> fuck these people sorry uh, it's unbelievable the shit we have to go through like people with disabilities it's different than other groups that that, that have all these problems with these other entitled groups it's like it, it's just it's a little different and it's hard to explain sometimes but oh my god it, it can be devastating just as uh, just as much yeah i no i i, I totally feel you there because actually horrifying just like the prior example where they basically shunned the guy the guy who is from a disabled group like what what is their thinking process do they even have a brain like hello and then there's the other the other uh, companies that that put you in a special category without telling you like i remember uh i was i had a pretty big company all right actually they were yeah. just in the news recently this this you're gonna love this little story if you if you have time for it yeah obviously uh, so i was working for this triple a company and it's a big one it's been in the news and i remember at one point there was a lot of infighting i was one of the directors so i was i guess you could say high up but i wasn't high enough up because there was just too many directors at one point they our director meetings were just people justifying their their jobs they would say oh uh, we're working on this and working on that it was horrible like the the daily uh meetings I and mean, there was a lot of infighting and it was clear that the game was 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 definitely not going to be in a good place thanks to all this uh, all this behavior uh, this all this political backstabbing that was there it's quite disgusting it's one of my worst experiences in games but at one point there's this hr lady she comes up to me she uh, at the at the one of these meetings and she's far away and she's she's uh she, she's snapping her finger at me and i'm like oh god i really hate it when people snap their finger it's like just use the hand and already i was going up to her i'm like do you really need to snap and she's like we don't have time for that she was completely out of breath and she says uh, we don't have time for that you got to come with me right away and i'm like oh okay what's going on she's like i i, I can't explain come on uh, just just follow me so I'm like, okay. Then I'm getting, uh, we're, we're, we're going outside even at, at this point. We're going to the elevator. I'm like, Jesus, this is the HR lady. She's not telling me what's going on. We're part of this, like the eight, like the whole director's group is uh, like, everybody's stabbing each other in the back. I got the feeling someone play, made a move and, and got me fired somehow. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a new experience. I already had my phone out and I was already looking at all the LinkedIn messages that I got in the last week of places that are, you know, I never have to worry about looking for work because of my, the nature of what I do. Um, you always need somebody who's a tech artist. Anyways, so as I was getting out, and, and she, she still didn't tell me anything. She was just like, always out of breath. I can't, I can't tell you. And then the word fire came up and I was like, okay, I got fired. So then when I got outside, I see a, a person in a wheelchair and a pregnant lady. And I'm like, the hell's going on? You guys fired everybody with a disability? What the fuck is this? And I was already getting angry. I'm like, what the hell's going on? This is this is incredibly stupid. And then she, she it was a fire drill, and they wanted to get all the people that were in their in their paper, like uh, they they just had a group of people that were considered disabled. They wanted to make sure that they got out of the the mess of the fire drill. She couldn't tell me that it was part of a fire drill because she all she had was the word fire come out of her mouth because she was she wasn't in good shape and she had problems with breathing. So I understand that it was just this surreal experience when I when I came down. I'm like crap i guess i should uh send a response back to that other company about what i just did okay so i guess i'm not fired and you guys still put me in these weird categories without realizing yes i can go down the stairs i i have prosthetics but i can still do that and it was just weird that they always put you in these weird categories without really knowing what it is your disability is and they just assume 
and it's just it's very it's always subtractive it's like here's a human being and then there's the disabled people which are something missing and therefore they're put in these categories and it's like it's really difficult our, 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 our i don't know there's something wrong with our culture and how we see people with disabilities because we just lump them up into these groups anyways so that, that's the story you don't want to be with the pregnant woman that's pretty that's pretty rude <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that for the pregnant lady yeah i, I like that they, <laughs> if they actually see pregnancy as a disability think about yeah. that for a second <laughs> yeah in a way they uh they the kind of shown yeah a little bit of how they think about stuff uh yeah the guy in the wheelchair it's like in a, in the case of a fire i was wondering yeah this building really sucks for for people in a wheelchair there's not really a lot going on for them to be able to get around other than the elevator kind of sucks uh the place is kind of a death trap for them if there's an actual fire and, and that's actually the, the one of the things that i kept thinking about i was like are they gonna do anything because you can't plan a fire unless it's on purpose for for insurance but it's like if there's a fire for real that person's really like in my case I can I can get down the stairs. Uh, the pregnant lady with being careful should be, and uh, hopefully people would be nice and not bump into her on the on the way down. You know, in the case of an uh, extreme uh, like scenario, I, I guess. But the person in the wheelchair, they, they don't have access to anything. And of course, they never they never address that thing. You know, the buildings stayed the same after that. So it gives you an idea how they think. Yeah, definitely. Let's. What what would you change, Louis? I think uh, there's two things. There's game development and the game industry. When it comes to game development that's i think you know like what we've been saying and that's kind of what recombobulator is it's a the name recombobulator is a, a response to that it discombobulate means to that's a real word discombobulate is kind of like you you lose your mind a little bit your 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 senses so recombobulator is the idea of getting your senses back getting your mind back rebuilding yourselves uh, i'm trying to build a you know a company that hopefully you know we're small now make this happen uh, we could build a, a place that's a, a safe place to work simply simply put it's just a place where people can work and a, a, a try like there's no place that's perfect so i think the key here is that we're going to be aware if we do end up making any mistakes like that as much as possible so if we ever do anything like if i do something that's in, like I, i would consider like an entitled move hopefully uh I'll, i'll tell you about to, it yeah exactly uh, <laughs> so that's what we're building here we're building an environment where you know if something's wrong we can talk about it and fix it and try to avoid the disgusting scenarios as much as possible Get, make sure we don't hire people that can create these disgusting scenarios that we keep hearing about uh, in games but that's game development that's on us as far as the game industry like the video game industry and games and how they're sold i think i think there's this big thing that's happening and, and you like you you mentioned it before we were touching on, uh, on it on, in the game it's a big thing that is happening and it's so not popular and it's so important because it it's going to have major implications not just in video games but in our society in general and we're already seeing it so video games have this it's like the normalization of a video of like these awkward like predatory monetization schemes that's what they are really at the end of the day they're schemes uh, games have evolved in a weird way recently and it's mostly coming from AAA where they're doing these bizarre things that take advantage of people's psychological uh, you know state and their their predisposition to the gambling in some cases so yeah it's just sad that we're in this era where uh games the, the AAA industry in particular is 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 just taking advantage of certain people with predisposition to gambling and so on and it's just this disgusting uh display of greed um and the games are kind of stagnant because of that as well i really hope we we really need to start stop the idea of 
this is okay, this is normal. We really need to start pointing our finger at it and saying, this is not okay. Because it's it's starting to bleed now into other things. Like you take Disney rides, for example, they they now, when you go to any of those theme parks, they're, they're, they're bringing in concepts that are much more than just fast passes. Now you have like these apps where you can kind of, it's kind of like these these things where you can pay to be able to pass a line. Anyhow, it's uh, it's pretty crazy how a lot of these these types of things are starting to show up in other in other industries and i think that is super dangerous because it's normalizing basically the, the space boat world like right now it's a parody uh and th that might be actually day to day later uh, if we're not careful so we we really need to start start going no this is not okay and point at it and say this this is greedy this is bad i totally agree with that and I think this is also going into a very wrong direction because we, we already talked a little bit about it before it. They want to make all the money in the world. Like every little dime. If you look, but I think we are at a point where the audience also slightly starts rejecting it. Because if you look, for example, for live service games, how many are really successful? Not many at all. And they're, they're, they're bit like, was it like Babylon's Fall is like the most unsuccessful live service game of all time? Yeah, I just, I just wanted to bring up Square Enix actually with uh, Chocobo GP and oh, Babylon's God, Fall yeah. because they got hor horribly called out on that one, on both actually. And I don't think both are doing too well right now. No, they're doing terribly. Uh, but yeah, both of them horrendously for both of them because you can't spend £40 on a game and then you get into the game and they're like, you need to pay an additional £20. Just keep yeah. playing. It's yeah, crazy. Thing. I think that the, the problem there is that they, they are trying and then they get tapped on the fingers saying, no, don't do that. And then, you know, that then they'll try it again a couple of years later when it's more normalized. So th think of it this way. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of mo weird monetization and just, just bizarre behavior of this kind, it goes all the way back to Skyrim and that horse. There was a horse, which was a cosmetic thing. The horse that you could armor. pay for. In Oblivion, yes, yeah. that that was exactly in Oblivion. Yeah, it was a oh yeah, it was it was Oblivion. You're right, and it was like I think five bucks, something like that. Everybody was in an uproar. They were like, "This is stupid. It's like an extra five bucks. What are you guys thinking?" And everybody just kind of went to town on them, kind of like what we're seeing now. Uh, but the problem is, little by little, that became normal. And now you tell me if five dollars for uh, a horse skin is is uh, is a big deal. It really uh, isn't for me personally it still is hmm. but i'm glad <laughs> i'm I, i'm also not your typical gamer because what i what i think like if i see horse armor or i'm on observation duty 4 what will i get i obviously will get on observation duty 4 <laughs> That's me. I think I'm like a huge minority there because, but also then again, I don't give a single shit about the Elder Scrolls. Like yeah. after Morrowind, that franchise died for me because Oblivion was worse and Skyrim is like, it might have the breadth of the ocean, but it has the depth of a puddle. And I'm not putting up with that <laughs> in any way. That's uh, actually, I really like that uh, visual, like uh, giant ocean with no depth. That's fantastic. Yeah. It, it, but it, it's, uh... it is. And that's why I don't like it. But yeah, um, I'm also in the minority there because Skyrim has sold how many copies? Yeah. Uh, you're talking to people who don't like Skyrim, so it's fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I can't speak for Laura, though. I always speak for Louise. But... No. It's all right. My... <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I don't spend much time. I, I, no, I've not got far in it. I get bored. No, I stop playing. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's the problem with it. I got bored too. The only fun thing you can do is install porn moth. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, seriously, those mods are pretty impressive, I have to say. I've, I've seen a few of them. They're, uh, wow, the game looks a lot better 
Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's that's me. So please don't take anything from what I said too uh, seriously. Okay, let's let's do the last question. This is this is always my final question. I try to hit people with at least in these four back-to-back -back conversations I have. Then I have to come up with a new one because everyone then expects it to come <laughs> up. So imagine the following: you three are invited to the United Nations to speak on behalf of video games and the united nation wants to hear what you are saying this is a thought experiment what would you tell the united nations i love how you went from i'm gonna ask you what your favorite game is to are you're standing in front of the united nations i was gonna say yeah <laughs> yeah i i i i, no, I like this one okay i like this one that's good um, I actually would, would, would speak to them about how games are, are a, a really good form of edutainment and they're really, so for example, when I was, well back in my day, when I was growing up, we played all of the mech and learning company games. So we played like number munchers, word munchers, operation Neptune, all those things. And I learned a math blaster. I learned a lot from those games and games are still teaching people about, about things. There are, I, f I find that, well, obviously with certain games excluded, but there is something to be said for interactivity and teaching. And you can learn a lot from, from games. These survival games teach you how to be resourceful. There, there are many different lessons that you can learn from games. There's a wonderful guy who uh, made, what's his name, Zach Hartzman, I think, did Hey Listen Games, and he teaches with video games. He actually works at a school where he teaches kids with video games. And it's wonderful. It's really great. So I think that e even though, you know, movie industry teaches us certain things, emotional quotient and all that, there is something to be said for interactivity. And I have seen people who are otherwise not able to learn things, learn things through Minecraft. Now Minecraft is taught in schools, right? Minecraft is, is, is as, as the kids say, low key civil engineering. You can use it. There, there's even an educational version of Minecraft that you can download. It's wonderful. I think games have taught people over the last 30 years, have taught people many things. And I would like to see that continue on. I wanna see more, more edutainment, more games being taught in schools and using the interactivity level and interconnection level, because obviously you have online games like my, that you can play like Minecraft, that will better foster society. That's what I want to see. Okay, what about you, Lauren? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be talking to them about climate instead of video games, to be honest. Like, as in front of them, I'd, I think I'd be talking about more. Gre Gre the problem, Greta... the problem is though, so many people have done that and they don't listen. <laughs> I know. Greta cut you cover, uh, covered there, so yeah. go, go back to the video games. <laughs> you could, you know, you could do. You could, you could make a video game about climate change and teach younger generation about those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, we do. We have, we have. There are video games like Terra Nil, which is really well done, uh, that teach people how to re rewild. I would say. Oh or... no, someone's doing that on TikTok. I saw I followed earlier this uh, game um, developer that she's mm. blown up on TikTok. She's teaching people about uh, climate change. Her game looks gorgeous. I have to send it to you. Oh yeah, please do. Um, but yeah, they're the. I, I think I think in general video games have the opportunity to make people more aware of these things and teach people how to fix it. Um, whereas 
I don't I don't think the UN is going to do much about that because okay. they haven't already. Okay. So do, do, do you want to talk, do you want to answer? Oh yeah, yeah. I absolutely have, would like to answer this one. I think uh, the UN right now it's like you look at the the average age of the UN, uh, the people at the UN and uh, you're going to notice that the uh, they are probably from a generation that doesn't think highly of video games. And mm. I can't really blame them because 90% of games are solving problems through violence uh, and or or at least through force, I should say. Uh, basically, the solution is always force. And I think that's that's bad uh, in the sense that it, it it creates this idea that you know, like if you're in real life later and you've just been playing a lot of games, then everything gets solved through force, either through physical force or through the force. Uh, like an RTS, it's like uh, it's like economic force or or just you know, there's lots of ways of looking how how force affects us, and that's that goes back to what is what are games as a, like an art form, and I think you look at Kojima and his whole thing with Death Stranding, even though I don't like the game, I, re I really don't. <laughs> I love what he's trying to do. I give him all the credit in the world for what he's trying to do and I love what he's doing because he made it very clear that games, there's the rope and then there's the stick. And most games right now are all about the stick or you just bash things over the head. Or the rope is you pull things together, you you, you use it like a tool, you can pull things and you can, you can use it differently. So your brain's already working differently. So what I would say to the UN, I would say you, you need to start looking at video games differently. They're not just something like Pac-Man or Tetris. That's that's a long time ago. It's another thing now. And it's you you have to understand that something like television has changed a whole generation. There's a generation out there that still, you know, sits in front of the TV passively, and that's how they deal with life. And then you have other people who are like looking at games and they're they're more active mentally, but we're teaching them to solve everything through force. This is something we need to change and 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 also we need to also stop normalizing the concept of gambling to younger kids so that they are not taken advantage of as well. So there's a lot of danger in video games right now and we're not doing anything about it to like, and, and we're not gonna get it fixed by by putting in like rules or regulations and stuff like that. What we need to do is start encouraging other systems to come in, other, other companies to come in, think of new ideas to get that brain working so it's more cooperative, more uh, constructive, and we train our, our, our the next generation to think differently. And I think that will actually make a big change to our world. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would actually say, is games could be an absolutely powerful tool for the next generation. And we're squandering it on Fortnite and loot box. It's really sad. Well, there are, the, and then there, yet there's there's a whole group of kids who play Minecraft. They have, you know, cooperative servers and things like that. Minecraft's so, a whole other thing. I think Minecraft, unfortunately, still is under the category of force is right, like might is right. Uh, because no, in the, still... in the educational version, I don't think there are any enemies. Yeah, but you're, the game itself has a design. Uh, there's still a, uh, a, a might is right, but it involves uh, the game. Pre it has all these tools for you to build things, to create things, to solve problems. And for that alone, I give it I give it all the credit in the world. Seriously, as a as a game developer, I say thank you uh, to pe people developing games that aren't just I whack a thing in the face or shoot it in the face, and that's how I solve problems. Even even games like Mass Effect or or uh, or even Yakuza. Like I, I love Yakuza. I've been playing. Um, like a dragon for, for the last couple of weeks uh, because I, I, I beat Elden Ring and I was like, all right, I, I need a change of flavor here. So I went to Yakuza and it's like, there's a lot of good stuff in here, but at the end of the day, I'm still just whacking things in the face to get through problems. I'm not, this is how I solve problems. What is this saying as an art form? Because you know, it's the old saying, show me your art and I'll understand your culture. And right now it's saying that force, uh, that right is might, uh, might is right, sorry. 
Might is right. That's what it's saying, unfortunately, in just about everything. So I really hope that if I was talking to the UN, they could make a difference by encouraging uh, the development of the other type of game, like Kojima says, the rope games, instead of uh, encouraging the greed that's currently there to take advantage of our, our most, um, our more sensible, uh, our more sensitive uh, um, groups and the ones that are, you know, predisposed to like gambling and so on. This, that's, we need to change that. Make it profitable so that, you know, we need we need to start focusing on things that can really help our culture. Um, it's a bit long-winded, I'm sorry. But, you know, no, I'm, I'm with you and that's okay. Okay, so I said it was the last question, but Michelle just remembered me there were three other questions <laughs> that are still looming. <laughs> and I completely forgot about them about the talk. Let's do those real quick and then we wrap it up. So I want to know from everyone your favorite game of all time. We start with Lauren. Oh, okay. <laughs> Digimon. Uh, Digimon, but I really like... Oh. Um, Age of Empires. Okay, that's a good call. <laughs> mm, nice one. I would say for me, not necessarily, I mean, yes, one of, one of my favorite games of all time, but probably one of the most important games of all time, Shadow of the Colossus. Ooh. Very good choice. I like that. Of course it's a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Louis? Uh, that, that game has been changing over the years. Like, I mean, it's been like Baldur's Gate and even Dark Souls was in there. But I think with the recent games, you're going to be shocked by this, but Persona 5 is, I think, my, game, my favorite game of all time. I, the reason I, why is it, yeah. I'm not really shocked at that. Continue. <laughs> yeah, the Persona 5 is there's there's an incredible design in there, and I find that they touch a, a subject uh, about basically uh, people being listless and, and not not standing up. You know what happens when you don't stand up, and what happens to your society because the game is centered around people who are fighting like this this group that's just taking over simply because it's convenient so people are more interested in being safe and you know quote unquote safe and not having to deal with real problems if you know if it's convenient and, and they don't want to fight back you know they don't want to say you know do anything to, to change the world they just want to just have a, a comfy life and that there's a lot of a lot of people like that now and i'm like wow this is this has actually got a really powerful message and then they show it to you in so many different ways and it's so it, it's just this huge story that takes I went through a thousand hours. I'm not kidding. I played it for a thousand hours and unlocked everything, saw every social like connection that you could have in the game. It's it's a beautiful game for that. Even though it's got lots of combat and stuff like that, the combat's actually pretty uh, satisfying. So for me, it's it has everything checked off. It's amazing. It's a great game. Perfect. So yeah, definitely Persona 5 for me. Very good answer. Okay. Which game made you want to work in game development? Hmm. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah. Uh, the the first one that really made me because uh, okay so here's a little a little something about me real quick i enjoy ripping games meaning i like to open up the game and see all of its assets and looking at everything that's in there and i'm not doing anything monetarily from them so if anybody's listening i know the line i know where it is i never make money off of any of this so i'm just curious as a human being when i get a game i just rip it apart and uh, not just in the game design and in playing it but sometimes i also look at all the assets that come with it to learn stuff and i've learned a lot of, a lot of things over the years because of this method now, uh, the first game that I really did that was Duke Nukem. I learned how sprites, I thought they were three-dimensional objects, but no, they're just images that are, it's kind of like a flipbook, and you just, and they have this magenta color for their transparency. And I remember looking at those assets going, I want to know more about how things, how we make games, because this is just blew my mind. And I was just, you know, I was just a kid. And I loved, from then on, I've always been looking at every video game and like that I can and, and trying to understand how it's made. And not only that, but also the 
what it's trying to be said about the game. So I think Duke Nukem, weirdly enough, was the first game that I really looked at uh, all through all the assets and, and, le and learned quite a bit. It was because of the boobies admitted. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There was the, the yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I remember seeing the sprite sport going, oh, oh. Right. <laughs> 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 Yeah, so definitely. Okay, that's good. Okay, Lauren, what about you? What, what, I mean, maybe it's not a game, but I mean, you actually outlined it earlier, what, why you yeah. wanted to come into the game industry, so. Is it okay if I skip you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, what about you, Michelle? Um, it's interesting. I never really thought I would work in games because, I mean, at the time there wasn't any, there wasn't a thing as narrative design. It only came later. I mean, I guess the, the beginning of CRPGs made me realize that narrative design in that way was possible. So something like, you know, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, those types of games. Okay, that sounds good. Then what is your scariest moment while gaming? Oh, I know. I can answer that one. That one. Fatal Frame 2, where you are, they, where you're leaving one of the rooms, and the doll that you thought was inanimate suddenly runs and jumps off the the, the desk. I went, nope, nope, we're done, we're done, <laughs> finished. I, I remember that one. By the way, yep. Fatal Frame is actually one of my favorite horror franchises. It's so it's underrated. It's so good, and everyone just needs to play it more. Absolutely. Well, what about you, Lauren? Um, when I was a youngster, and I shouldn't have been watching Res. Is it? Re I think it's Resident Evil the first one i think it is there's a scene where one of the creatures is on the ceiling you don't realize and then it just jumps down and tries to kill you and it was fantastic and terrified me i think it was like seven at the time and yeah it really stuck with me <laughs> uh that that uh that childhood trauma yeah. oh, yes okay and uh, oh, yeah and um, uh, in my case i, I think there's uh, i'd split it into two there's like knee-jerk reaction like the worst knee-jerk reaction i've ever had was playing baldur's gate one with the phase spiders and the sword spiders i remember i spilled everything because it scared the shit out of me it's like a, it's not just a knee reaction i practically tipped the table over you know it's like you're into the game you've been going through dungeon for a while it's you're you're barely surviving then this phase spider just teleports right behind you and poisons everyone in your team and it was just so quick and it was the sounds of the the sword spiders shoving their big long bladed like legs going through one of my main characters uh, uh one of my one of my characters and i was like no and it's i just i i uh I physically flung everything around me uh so that that i think is the scariest moment i had on that level but um I have to say Dark Souls 2 kind of hit me on a more fundamental level because uh, I have a little bit of a uh, trypophobia. Uh, so if anybody uh, is trypophobic out there uh, and you don't know it, if you're looking at like things with little holes in them and it's it triggers like a little response to you, you're trypophobic if you didn't know. Like little holes could be anything. It could be like, just look up the word trypophobic. Go ahead. See if you uh, garner a reaction. If you garner a reaction like I do, then you know. It, it, it's one of the grossest things to me. It makes, it, it really scares the shit out of me. And uh, Dark Souls 2 was the first one to combine my hate for spiders because they just freak me out sometimes uh, when they're big. So they had this character named Rom, had tons of little holes in them. So they, they combined, they did it on purpose. They took two things that people hate or can, tr can trigger a response and they put it together. And then there were all the, all the caves with all the spiders coming out of them or the, these things coming out of them which were basically a giant tryptophobic uh, nightmare and that 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 gets into your your into your mind and it really really scares the shit out of me sometimes okay good and 
that's been the orca cast with recombobulator games thank you for coming in and thanks for having me. talking yeah, yeah talking with such passionate people about gaming gives me back hope for gaming it really is like that because i think you three are so passionate about the subject you three do great work and you three are basically down to earth and that's why i like you so much and it's been a <laughs> Good talk, a very good talk. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. So that has been Rico Populator Games. And to all our listeners and watchers, thank you for being here. I'll be back soon with another guest. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.